Hello and welcome to Can You Hear Me at the Back, the podcast about all things voice and communication. Hi Leon. Hi Andrea. So, with a sound and a movement, tell me how you feeling. Ooh. That reminds me of like Little Mermaid. Really? Yeah. No idea why. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, Andrea, in a sound and a movement, tell us how you feel. Qua, qua. Yeah. I think I would. I think I was going for quail, but then. Um, quail. Yeah, quail has been in my head. Have you ever had quail? Don't think I have. No. It's quite delicious, but they're also very cute. Yeah, I've seen they've them. They've got like little extra feathers around their around their feet. I was gonna say paws. It's not paws. <laughs> it's a feet. And then they're like they have like little paddy feet where it's it looks like they're wearing flares or like bell bottom trousers. Oh, that's cute. They're really cute. Yeah. Also delicious. Oh. Well, I guess... Eh. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. They're clearly not. You have to remember this. No, I mean, <laughs> most of the most delicious things are very cute. Yeah. Hmm. Lambs. Oh, no, we can't get into that. Okay. So, <laughs> what are we talking about today? <laughs> we are not talking about how delicious, beautiful things are. Um, what we are talking about is the burden of communication. Yes. Yes, we are. Yeah. And you know what? For like a hot second, I thought I had made it up because I couldn't find it up. Did you Google it and it didn't come up? You know, it didn't. And I oh. was like, I, I was like, I swear I remember talking, somebody talking about this in one of my classes. And I realized, because um, then I started thinking, what if one of my professors just made it up and they were really talking about something else? Um, but they had used the burden of communication. That's the only thing that stuck. Oh. Um, but that's not true. It's an actual thing. Um, and it's right. in... Um, Were you on new, normal Google? You went on, like, Google Scholar? Yeah, I did, yeah. No, and you no went on to Google like, Scholar, pro- and then it's like, ta-da! I like proper Versus Google everywhere that. else, you're like, mm. Nah, it's still shady. Um, <laughs> um, shady. It's called... Uh, it's by um, Lippy Green. And I think her first name is Rosen. It's R-O-I-S-I-N. Rosen? Roshane. So yeah, I need a Roshane. co-host. <laughs> Roshane. Um, like Roshane Connerty. Um, Shout out to Roshane Connerty. If you want to be on the show, Roshane, get in touch. I love you. Carry on. Um, uh, it's from 1997. Um, something called English um, with an Accent. Um, and so mm. the burden of communication in that sense, in the sense that Lippy Green uses it, um, has to do with the way that we listen to people who have accents. Um and whether the burden of communication relies on us as the listener to understand them through the accents or whether it is the speaker who has to quote unquote clarify or reduce their accent to be Mm. understood. Because we talked about it in terms of like education, I suppose. A few weeks ago, yes. a few episodes ago, and we were talking about a particular voice practitioner who happens to insist that you don't use those paralinguistic mm-hmm, yes, uh-huh, yes. things because she will, she insists that the, that the her evaluation of the burden of communication mm-hmm. will be whether or not you are able to do the thing she's asked you to do mm-hmm. or vice versa. But that's really interesting to put it into the context of um, of accents mm-hmm. and therefore being understood. 
Yeah. And whether it's your job to make yourself understood mm -hmm. or somebody else's job to be receptive to the idea of being spoken to in a different accent. Yeah, and it all has to kind of do too with um, language ideologies, which is something that mm. I, I, I uh, it's one of my favourite things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you have, you have to watch the video to see the excitement in my face. Um, because... Um, with... It's in your voice. It's fine. Okay, thanks. Medium, <laughs> sonic medium is lovely. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so people like to... Um, People have different ideas of what um, of what a language should be, and I encounter this quite a lot in the UK um, about people who believe that certain things should sound a certain way because it represents a very particular thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put this in the context um, just to be controversial of Shakespeare. Um, what? Oh yes, that um, I get a lot of students who believe that Shakespeare should be spoken in a particular accent in a particular way because it is right. associated with that um, and therefore the burden of communication lies on the speaker to to um, to uphold both that ideology um, and that sound to make it what we consider to be clear to the audience mm. but clarity is different for everyone yes it really is mm -hmm. um I talked about this at the conference that we were at a few weeks ago um, and about Kate Godfrey. Yes. Who's the head of voice at the Royal Shakespeare Company. And in an interview that I did with her for my thesis research that she she was saying, you know, clarity is really interesting and audibility is really interesting, and uh, which was the subject of my research. And she said that her job is ostensibly to listen. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the quality of her listening is very different. Mm -hmm. So she um, she will hear things that possibly other people won't. But that's her job. And she's listening out for those things. Right. So therefore, is she more critical of the things that she can hear or can't hear right. than other people are? And therefore, is she sort of hypervigilant or, or is it just necessary? Yeah. Which I think is a fascinating thing. Yeah. Because I was also talking about this with students this week. And having the conversation about whether you can actually hear something. Mm. So they say, I told two students that they had, uh, they were creating an R by moving the R, R sound by making, moving Vice their lip but... towards, no, moving their lips towards their tooth. Uh, so it was a R. Yeah. So it yeah. was a, what's often referred to as a weak R. Yeah. So really, rather than really, mm. or really, whichever R, really, or really, really. Uh, whichever, whichever R it is you're creating, the quality of that R. But the quality of their particular R happened to be quite weak. Mm -hmm. And I'm quite vigilant about that. We've talked about this before on the we podcast. Have, yeah. But I'm quite vigilant about that because it was something that I had to remediate in my own speech as an actor. Mm -hmm. And as a person. <laughs> and so... That's something that I'm particularly vigilant about and I hear immediately because it's something that was very much brought to my attention. Mm -hmm. And there were other things that I never had a problem with mm -hmm. or rarely had a problem with, like final consonant sounds, yeah. um, which in the right context I quite enjoy. Yeah. Um, and in other contexts, don't really bother about it. But on stage and broadcasting, definitely that's something that I'm conscious of yeah 
So I didn't really hear it. Yeah. Because it was sort of already part of my common practice. Yeah. My kind of vernacular, uh, my kind of, you know, conversational language was pretty accurate in those terms. So it took me a really long time to be able to give those notes. Because mm. I just didn't acknowledge that it was a thing. Yeah. So it's been really interesting that some of the students saying to me this week, but I can't even hear it. Yeah. How do you hear that? I can't even hear that. Yeah. Like, well, you're doing it, so it's happening. Yeah, but I think I think that's a great thing because um, when we talked about the listen, when we had the listening um, episode, um, it, it, you listen from you. I tell my students that quite often. Is like hmm. you listen. We tend to listen from our perspective, and to listen from another person's perspective does take a huge kind of leap and it does take a kind of consciousness mm. to go wait a minute um as um somebody talks about um empathetic listening mm-hmm. um to go wait a minute how are you doing that and a lot of times when you're doing accent i do this a lot of accent i was like well if i'm going er but she's going ah and i was like what how, how do i get from mine to hers mm-hmm. um or, or, or whoever it is and you kind of have to you have to listen from their perspective in order yeah. to give them a note yeah. because otherwise it won't make sense because you're giving a note from you and not to them. That's fascinating. And I think you've just, oops, there's my file. <laughs> That's fascinating. And I think you've just hit on something that I've been trying to articulate for some time, oh. which is really exciting for me <laughs> and for you, maybe. Yeah. But because... There are lots of directors that I have worked with who will give a note from their perspective. Yeah. Without considering the actor's perspective at all. Mm-hmm. And it's it's more infrequent now, I have to say. But it used to be quite quite prevalent yeah. um and people would they would say no why are you work why are you going in that direction that's totally the wrong direction and I think well it isn't the wrong direction because that's the way my instinct tells me to go or my intention makes it feel like you could should go or, or you've already told me that I have to exit stage left and therefore I'm going stage left right no 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 I want to go stage right oh well then okay fine well I'll re- redo that in my head but they're do, they're giving you giving a note from an external perspective right which is valid, but it's just, it's not from, it's not from, it's not taking into account what the actor process might have been or my process might have been in those moments. Right. I've even had that on shows that I've written myself and the director <laughs> has said to me, that's not what that means. And I was like, mm. I know exactly what this means because it came out of my head. Yeah. So I know that that's what that means. Yeah. If you don't understand it in that way. That's okay. But yeah. I'm telling you 100% I know what it means. Yeah. Because I wrote it. You might have a different interpretation of it. Yeah. But I'm telling you that the way that I'm saying it is what it means. Yeah. And it's, um, and, and, and that has a lot to do with what we talked about um, last time when we talked about um, maxims and flouting maxims and mm. all that stuff um, of relevance, but also context. Um, in it, it's, and it's the same thing um, as if it's, because I think everything, everyone kind of assumes that if we're speaking the same language, then we're communicating and everything's okay. Mm. Um, but within that, there are other things that you might infer that I don't automatically know because we're not starting out on the same premise. 
Um, so you have to define the terms of the premise sometimes. A lot of times when I'm when I'm not when I'm not communicating. <laughs> We're back to defining terms, are we? Yeah, when I'm not communicating with people, it's it's a lot of times it's like, well, this is what I meant by this, and they're like, oh no, wait, that's not what I what I got at all. But again, the problem that's if both people are assuming equal um, responsibility within the act of communication. Mm. You get a lot of people sometimes, and then and I think it's especially prevalent with accents, but I hear it. I hear it all over the place, um, where people are doing what I call lazy listening or lazy communication, right. where someone's talking to you and you're just, you're just like, I don't get it. And it's not, I don't get it, like, what you're saying, um, what you're saying doesn't make sense to me. It's, I don't get it, I don't, like, th there could be a lot of things. That it could be, I don't get it, I don't like it, um, mm. and therefore, like, put it away. Or a lot of, like... It's not being presented to me in a way that I that I like, and so I'm not right. I'm not listening. Yes, and you just automatically kind of tune out, mm. and that's really prevalent for people who have um, accents, and their first language isn't English. You'll see a lot of times um, if you if you're doing exchanges with them, and, and like um, I used to work in Times Square, um, and part of the and, and part of the frustration a lot of times that people have when they come to English is that. English speakers don't have a lot of patience. No, no, um, they sure. don't have a lot of, and um, because they believe that there is there should be an equal burden of communication. If I'm communicating to you, you should receive that communication and then, you know, and then and then yeah. throw it back at me so that we could have this dialogue. Especially if you New York, because things just work very very quickly. Um, but a lot of times, what you'll get is I'm giving you this, and they're going, "Oh wait, I don't understand that. Could you possibly just like your actor note? Could you possibly do it in a way um, that would be more contextually relevant for me. Mm. And that sometimes means that you have to substitute words, right? So instead of saying chair, I might say... Um, seat. Yeah, seat, exactly. Yeah. Um, and you might understand what a seat is, but you not, might not understand what a chair is because, I don't know, maybe you're having a Spanish day and your head is just, you know, in Spain. <laughs> and, and also not then in it English. probably comes down to idiom as well in that instance. Like if you were to say to somebody, um, put up a chair or take a seat, they're like, what? If yeah. you said, would you like to sit? Yeah. Or please sit down. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, ah, siéntate. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> it's like, got I it. got it. Yeah. Um, and that's a, and it's a very, very big thing, but it always has to do with, um, just like we talked about last time in terms of uh, cooperation, um, in that we assume that if I'm going to have a conversation with you, then we are going to co cooperate in some way to make the communication work. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same way with kind of the burden of communication, is that... Um, person A is coming in with the understanding that I'm going to give you something um, and that you're going to work relatively hard to get that mm -hmm. um, and if you don't that I then then I will work equally as hard to give it to you so that you can understand it right hmm so that it is there is a reciprocity there's an equality to the burden of communication in those in that discourse mm -hmm. rather than rather than somebody just having to listen harder or speak better yes or code switch <laughs> or code switch which also came up in conversation this week with some students because one student was telling me that when they speak to almost anybody that has a different accent or a different language to them mm -hmm. they change they code switch into whatever it is that they're doing 
Um, so the if person they, who they're trying to talk to. That they're speaking okay. to. So then they try and sort of assimilate their sounds to yeah. be similar to the person to whom they're speaking to. Which is nice. It could be dangerous, but yes, it's nice. But this is exactly <laughs> it. And this particular student was saying to me, yes, well, I, when I was in Italy, I just kept doing an Italian accent at people. Right. And it was really bad. And yeah. I was like, yeah, that is really bad. Yeah. Which kind of is similar to the conversation we had in Code Switching yeah. episode about the football manager who right. code switched so extraordinarily yeah. poorly that, <laughs> um, well, it was extraordinarily well, actually, yeah. but in the wrong moment, mm-hmm. um, into a sort of, you know, faux foreign language kind yeah. of code. Um, and so that's quite interesting to sort of note as well, that sometimes the burden, that that, that might come from that intention that to try and um, equalise the burden of communication, I'm not going to be too alien, I'm not going to be too foreign right. for you. And therefore try and sort of make it easier for you to understand. And, yeah. make, and that probably isn't going to work. No. It would make you look a bit silly. But. Yeah. It will, but I think that's also about um, that's also about privilege and language privilege as well. Um, <laughs> which is like a whole other thing. But I think... Um, to to touch... quote Catherine Ryan, your privilege is showing... <laughs> Um, was this a wonderful quote? But I think, um, I, I think in a more, um, in a more kind of social and, and political sense, there are, um, I mean, English is a language of privilege, um, mm. in the sense that it is, it is spoken throughout most of the Western world. Um, and we do have the luxury to be able to kind of even like go on holiday now and not have to even learn another language because yeah. a lot of people will speak English. And I think within that privilege comes the ideology um, that anyone who speaks comes to English from a different um, a different language has to work harder because my language is dominant. And that's the ideology that, that I think a lot of people mm. are working within. Um, I'm not judging it. <laughs> I'm just saying that it exists. Um, yeah. And then to move, um, and and then it does become strange when you go into a different country, say Italy, and you're trying to, um, and you're hearing English spoken with an Italian accent, um, and you're trying to align yourself with that, and you do start the kind of code switch into that, because um, maybe it's conscious, maybe it's unconscious, but your language does hold a lot of privilege, and it does start to seem that you are you're kind of pushing that in people's faces a little mm. bit. You know, it, it, it's not, it's no longer I want to communicate with you, um, but it does take on an extra layer of meaning of, of kind of like, look, I've got this, um, I've got all these skills in my native language that's, that you now have to speak and, you know, and, and let me see if I can adapt what I already know for yeah. you. You know, and that's a... And yet there's sorts of things where you can, I was, the example that I gave to the students was, mm-hmm that when I speak to my um, francophone cousins and other family, um, that I won't use the polite conventions of of British English. Right. So I won't say, could I possibly have, if it's not too much trouble, yeah, a glass of water? Yeah, that's confusing. <laughs> because then, why am I, why? doesn't, if there's somebody English, and I say, if it's not too much trouble, is it possible that I could have a glass of water? Yeah. Then someone would say, oh, yes, absolutely, of course. How terribly yeah. polite of you. Yeah. Um, however, that just confuses and 
and I am flouting the uh, the maximum of quality. No, quantity. Both, actually. Both. Yeah. At the same time. Um, so the keys are difficult. We 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 know this. But then, <laughs> but those. That's the. Th- I, I'm kind of. I'm, I'm over egging the pudding to yeah, go back yeah, to my yeah, previous yeah. Uh, metaphor. But the idea is that actually, then I don't need to. I can. St- I can still communicate efficiently by saying. Um, may I have a glass of water? Yeah. And that's enough. Mm-hmm. Or actually, can I have water? Mm-hmm. Because the qualifier of some isn't really necessary because it, somebody's probably going to give you enough to quench your thirst rather yeah. than like, here's a, here's, like here's a drop. It's like, well. Yeah. And also that's not a quantity anyway. Some's not a quantity. No. It's relative. So, yeah. you know, well, some salt, it's scalar, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it's like some salt versus some water. Yeah. It's very versus, different. Um, yeah, versus like a few of this or a little, a little. That's a, that's a UK thing. A that little bit like, of, can, yeah. can I get a little bit of, or can I have a little? And you're like... My grandmother used to say, just a teaspoon. I'd be like, like what What of that, how much do you want? She'd go, oh, just a teaspoon. Do you remember and then you'd... a sliver? Oh, sliver's nice. Yeah. So if we, if we were cutting pie or something, she'd be like, can I get, um, it'd be like, do you want any pie? And she'd be like, oh, no, no, I don't want any pie. And she'd be like, well, can I get a sliver? Is this a, this a sliver? Yeah, no, all of those pie? terms more is German for me. Ambition. <laughs> 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 like, or abyss, it was more Yiddish, abyssal of this mm. or abyssal of that. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, those sorts of things. Because we just, it wasn't English. So, but yeah, but like the teaspoon thing or the sort of the sum or the sliver or the something. It's yeah. kind of, it's too much information. Yeah. Um, and, and so then that becomes sort of, it becomes convoluted if you start to include all of those things. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, I also introduced a colleague this week to the term lingua franca. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the the sort of notion of the lingua franca is quite quite important in a sense because then there's like European Parliament English and that's a sort of ease of itself mm-hmm. um, as in like it's a it's a kind of a parallact register? of itself it's a register of itself because mm-hmm. um, because it incorporates different um, syntactical rules and yeah. it also incorporates different vocabulary so you might just have um, you have a smorgasbord of uh, vocabulary for one of a less meta phrase, but it's um, we there are lots of things. It 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 you use the most sort of um, easily accessible words, and everybody sort of has to mm-hmm. muddle along, and and it's kind of all right. Yeah. Um, and so kind of going back to what the students were doing and changing the code mm-hmm. too significantly. Yeah. That actually then if you just, if you pare it down rather than try and switch it completely, mm-hmm. that then you, what is it that I'm actually trying to say? Right. And how can I just efficiently communicate that mm-hmm. so that I can be understood? Yeah. That I can honour the conversational maxims. Yeah. But then also honor my burden of communication so that then there is clarity in what i'm talking about yeah rather than trying to sort of flower it up and make it all sorts of beautiful yeah because that's not important when all you want is a sandwich and a beer (laughs) yeah 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 you you need to um you need to get to the the least uh oh oh gosh i'm gonna use a math term the least common denominator um yeah in in that kind of a sense um but um yeah and i think my biggest thing with the um was was sort of the, the the burden of communication in that sense because I mean it go it goes into a lot of directions so we've obviously gone into like maxims and we've gone into code switching and we've gone into <laughs> um ideologies and all of this kind of um stuff 
Um, but I think it's, uh, I think what's really important for me in all of that is that, um, is that there's so much in communicating, um, but it doesn't have to, but it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be a hugely complicated thing. I think people get, you know, mm. um, and this, and this has a lot to do with people who have like, um, like social anxiety and all these things because they're, because when you look at it, if you study, if you study language or you study social interaction, it does look, you can make it quite complicated. Sure. Um, you can make it extremely complicated, but, um, if you're taking it down and you're looking at, I'm trying to get this from this person, or I'm trying to communicate just this one thing, um, from this to this person, um, then it is quite simple. And all mm. you really do have to think about is what is the best mode of getting that information into that person. Mm -hmm. And it might actually not even be linguistic in that sense. Like we might have to turn another realm and talk about um, body language or yeah. um, or even written like orthography mm -hmm. or something like that, or even just kind of um, paralinguistic like sounds, um, which convey so much. And so they are quite important in that sense. Um, and they do, and they carry on, the idea of communication um, being kind of existing outside of the realm of linguistics, but also encompassing linguistics mm. as well, and encompassing. That's why I like voice, because voice is not just about language. Yeah, right? that's very true. Yeah. Um, voice is about communication, but it's not just about language. Um, and a bit like this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All I did that on voice. purpose. All things voice and communication. Yeah. That's kind of our byline. Yeah. Um, but it but it's kind of a wonderful thing in that sense um, because because it is about it is about communicating from one person to another person mm. yeah um, and language will come into that and um, and ideologies will come into that because people are complicated and evolving beings yeah um, but it is kind of just about like you know I just want to talk to you I want to tell you this thing yeah and the, and so many people fall into traps and pitfalls in the in the attempt to be understood mm -hmm. so and what they do is they is is they don't don't necessarily take responsibility for the communication for the burden yes. of communication so like the classic british tourist abroad Ugh. shouting louder oh. to try and make that clearer because clearly the person that they're speaking to is hearing impaired mm. Almost never is that a thing. Don't do that. That then you're just shouting at somebody, mm -hmm. and shouting, as we know, doesn't make you clearer. No, it just makes you louder yeah. and more offensive generally. But it's less likable. Less likable. <laughs> and and that sandwich you've ordered might have somebody spitting it later on. But it's um, unlikely again. Very strict hygiene rules. But the point really is that it's about the. The burden of communication in that moment that 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 maybe the tactic that's being employed in that moment mm -hmm. is just not the most effective effective mm. i was going to say sophisticated but you're right effective <laughs> is absolutely right sophisticated would work too yeah yeah i mean i think i i, I like that too and i um and uh i know it's a very cliche thing to, to to say but i always um talk to my students about um why they're speaking because there are other modes of communicating whatever it is mm -hmm. that needs to happen. So why at this moment has your character decided to start speaking? And sometimes it can be a simple thing as like, well, somebody talked to them. So, you know, I got to I got to respond, respond in some yeah. way. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, yeah, but there are other ways of responding. There's a 
<laughs> that's a response. Yeah. Um, there's also kind of like a, and that's also a response too. I just did, for those who are not watching, I did a thing with my hands. Um, <laughs> but like, those are all, those are all um, equal parts of communication. So why at this point did, did somebody decide to write um, a four page speech to communicate something? Yeah. It's that, it's that thing with actors, often student actors, not doesn't tend to be as many professional actors as the student actors, mm. but say, well, I haven't even got any lines. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. makes me rage. Actually makes me rage. But um, I, I sort of understand their point, and yet simultaneously kind of think, well, you're, you're all upset about not having lots of lines, but it's not about what you're saying. Yeah. It's about what your reactions are. Yeah. And you're still, if you're still in the scene and you're still present in mm -hmm. the scene, then there has to be a response to those, what is being said, if yeah. you're paying attention. If you're not paying attention, you're just reading a book in a corner, mm -hmm. then that's fine. You're just reading a book in a corner, but then you, I've never ever seen a play where that's really a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of if there is a play. Please tweet me ideas of plays where there is just somebody sitting in a corner reading a book. Um, and that's all they do for the whole scene. I'd really love to read it. Because um, also I will set it for my students as a scene study because that would be wonderful. Oh, that'd be really cool. Yeah, I'm evil. Um, so, I know, I'm a really good teacher. That's the difference. I'm trying to really push the boundaries of what they believe scenes to be. Um <laughs> But you know, like it's it's yeah. one of those things that you actually, and sometimes we do just sit there and listen, mm. yeah. and that's okay. That's a normal human thing to be doing. Sometimes you don't have anything to contribute, mm. or sometimes you don't need to. That's an, that's an, that's another thing. Also, more important than yeah. than what I said. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I get I, I I I work a lot with people, and because I I I too sometimes <laughs> struggle with this this um the accepting of silence. I really struggled not to say anything. I was like, oh, I get it. But that that sometimes silence is the greatest um, communicator. Yes, a little bit like stillness. Mm. And lots of fidgeting on stage is distracting. It's not. Um, it's not captivating. Yeah. And sometimes people can be extraordinarily still and they are sort of the latency of somebody's stillness and the the potential for movement is just mind-blowing and extraordinary. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's fitting to end in silence. <laughs> so, Leon. Yeah. Um, what did you learn? What did I learn? <laughs> I learned that acts within accents we can think about the burden of communication being mm. present, which I hadn't really thought about in the context of accents as a burden of communication. Mm. And I know that people change their accent if they're asked to repeat something. Yes. So they become more sort of neutralised or they become more uh, in their accent, so their vowel shift, or they end up splitting the words and they become more emphatic. Yeah. Or they get louder or a mm. combination of all of them. Yeah. And then they often give up, usually after three, sometimes four attempts. Mm. Um, 
but the, the context of it being about accent is really interesting like is it my job to change my accent so you understand me or is it your job to be able to understand me because I'm speaking the language yeah and what's I talk about this a lot when I'm doing accent coaching with cohorts rather than with individuals right because I talk about the notion that actually within there's a lot of we have an extraordinary capacity to understand that an E is still an E, even if it's E. No, e. Until it then becomes E, and then it becomes E, and then it becomes A. And it, and it, as, it, as the tongue moves yeah. and the vowel starts to shift, we kind of go, oh, it's E for ages. And then it starts kind of like ping, and then it's like, that's an E. Yeah. And it goes ping, and it's like, that's an A. And you're like, how did... And on the other direction, there's this massive overlap where it still stays an ah until it then goes click and it's now an eh. And mm-hmm. then it goes click and then it becomes an e. And you're like, how is it that my brain has got this huge capacity to just understand yeah. what the vowel sound is in in that area? And sometimes the set's completely shifted. Mm-hmm. So a strut set's become a book set. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa, or whatever. So, but we still have this sort of extraordinary capacity in English that it sort of just allows for that broadness. Yeah. And yet, if you've never heard people speak differently to you, you might not be able to even understand it. Oh, Welsh took me quite a bit of time. Mm. That was um, that was that was very difficult for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it had nothing to do with the vowels, but it had everything to do with the intonation. Yeah, the prosody. Oh my goodness. And then working with students to to make them sound uh, more RP when they want to do RP. Yeah. They find that extremely difficult. They like, don't feel like I'm doing anything with my voice. It feels really flat. I'm like, mm. yeah, that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was, yeah. And what did you learn, Andrea? That I really want to talk about language ideologies and ideologies in general. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had a big thing with, I, that's because I had a professor that I really, really liked who taught me about language ideologies. Uh. Yeah. And in in a nice way. <laughs> the good the good teacher paradigm of interest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Why do you like this? I had a really good teacher. <laughs> That's why I became a teacher though. Because I had a had a few really you good teachers. You had a good teacher. few teachers. <laughs> I didn't. That's a whole other podcast. That is. And we yeah, absolutely. If you want to contact us about anything we said in the podcast, you can reach us on Twitter at can you hear pod or on instagram at can you hear me podcast or you can search for us on facebook and on youtube or email us at can you hear me at the back at gmail.com you can find me leon on twitter at leon Trayman. or me andrea at andrea fudge on twitter please support the podcast by subscribing as a patron on our patreon site the link is in the show notes. To keep the podcast advertisement-free, as well as get access to cool extra stuff, discounts, bonus episodes, as well as supporting ongoing voice research funding as well. Okay, love you, bye!